0: hey everybody biggie here and welcome back to the podcast virginia law for law enforcement officers this is a podcast for those of you out there who want to do it right who are striving to get better every day at your job and find new ways to strengthen and serve your communities uh, and and this is a podcast intended to provide you an ability to uh, become better experts in the law. I mean, the community, for better or for worse, expects you to be an expert at everything. They expect you to be an expert at you know mental health and forensic science and driving and shooting and martial arts and the law and a bunch of other things too. Um, sexual assault and you know crime scene evidence, all that kind of good stuff. Well. Not a lot of resources for you to do that, certainly not a lot of uh, opportunities, especially on the law, teaching you You know, four hours of law every couple of years. So hopefully this provides you some ability to do that. But I do want to make it useful for you too. So the comments you guys have been sending in have been really helpful, provided me some really cool guidance. Um, really, really nice comments that we've received online uh, on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud and so on. So thank you guys for the words of encouragement. Um, we got some really neat comments, uh, Albemarle County detective made a really good com- comment, um, ad having, ad hating Chiver. I don't know what that, what Chiver means. Um, but I hate ads too, and I'm not taking money for this. Believe me, I'm not getting any money out of this. Um, proud Virginia law enforcement officer. Thank you for your comments. Um, RT Brown, screen memory, Matt MB3, you know, thank you guys so much. Uh, it helps to spread the word about the podcast and, uh, hopefully it helps you guys more too. So what are we talking about? We're talking about electronic evidence. And that's what we've been talking about the last few episodes. So we talked about basic concepts in electronic evidence. And then we talked about getting basic subscriber data. In the last episode, we talked about getting uh, pen register trap and trace information, which is a really funky area of law and each time we've been moving through the continuum of the uh, severity or the intensity of the legal process right so when we started we talked about getting basic subscriber information and for that all you need is a court order from a judge uh, that a circuit court judge in virginia uh, based upon a standard of relevant to a legitimate law enforcement inquiry but as we got into stuff like real-time location data and historical cell site location data we got to a point where we needed to have probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched, the persons or thing to be seized, right? And that's Fourth Amendment requirements. Now, today's episode, I'm going to talk about getting actual content from providers. And that's going to be the goal for today's podcast. And I'm also going to talk about now sort of more practical challenges. Because let's face it, you know, the practical, con- the, the practical challenge in getting content from providers is not really the legal process anymore. It's how in the heck am I actually physically going to get this information? And that's what I want to talk about with you guys today. As I mentioned in the basic concepts episode, when we're talking about getting something simple like whose phone number is this? Who's the person who has his phone number? That's not very intrusive information um, That's something you might be able to find on sort of people search or some kind of Internet search engine without getting order or legal process and sort of out there in the public space with a Google search. But when you want to have the actual content of someone's communications from the past, that's still very intrusive. And that's the kind of thing that the law is going to require you to get a search warrant for. Now, believe it or not, there's actually a lot of debate about this, about whether or not originally a search warrant was something that was going to be required. Um, as you remember, we talked about uh, in, in an earlier episode, we talked about this Miller case in the 1970s and the court saying if somebody else holds on the information, if you've already disclosed the information to somebody else, you don't really have a right expectation of privacy in it. And if you've ever been on Facebook or if you've used Gmail before, you might have noticed, right, if you start writing emails to your buddies about the hunting gear that you got, this new tree stand that you got, you're really excited about it. And then all of a sudden when you're doing a Google search or when you're online, you start seeing ads for tree stands showing up and you're like, what the heck is going on? Well, yeah, I mean, Google is reading your email. I mean, that's in the terms of service. I can't believe you didn't read the terms of service when you agreed to the terms of service, right? But they're reading your emails. They're checking to see what you talk about. They're not reading them like, there's not like a physical person sitting there actually reading them because it'd be really boring. I mean, reading my emails would be really, I would feel really bad. I think it's a violation of the Geneva Convention to make somebody read my emails. It's so boring. But um, when they're reading, a computer is reading your emails, and it's reading it and pulling off of information like, you know, tree stand and hunting and so on, and it's developing a profile about you as a consumer that it can then market and sell. You know, if you've ever gone up and copied your web address, this is the you know, oh well, here's the website. You know, give, send me a link for that tree stand. Okay, well you go and type in Amazon, you type in the tree stand. It doesn't just give you you know www.amazon.com/slash you know mossy oak tree stand or whatever. Um, it gives you this huge long string of you know like this really long string of letters and numbers and what is and contained all information is a lot of information about you it's sort of a hash value about you and who you are as a consumer and that information is very useful because that's the next time that you type a an url and it's buying and selling who you are to the upcoming advertisers and saying hey just let you know now's your chance uh you know billy is going to go on to the um, go onto the internet. Do you want to sell them anything? Now's your chance to buy the opportunity to sell them an ad. So again, this information is being read. You don't have a, a true expedition of privacy, but the, in the eyes of Congress and ultimately the Virginia General Assembly, they said, well, we don't like the idea that law enforcement could get this information without a search warrant. It's very private information. We want to require law enforcement to get a search warrant for it. And that's why you have to get a search warrant for this information so in general you have to get a search warrant for this information and and again that's not a surprise right so you have to you know get a uh, if it's the past if it's information about what did someone's facebook message say or what did somebody's text message say or you know what did somebody's instant uh, somebody's um, you know twitter message say if you want the actual content of that statement you need to get a search warrant if it's something in the past Now, as I said, as you move through the intensity from base subscriber information to content, you have to get more intense legal process. Also, when you move from past to present to future, you increase the intensity of legal process required. What if I wanted to get the contents of someone's communication? What are their text messages saying? What are their instant messages saying? What are their emails saying in the future? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wiretap, and that is a very difficult to obtain piece of Legal process because we don't know what that information is, and you're basically saying I want to be able to see the contents of what somebody is saying in real time or uh, as close to real time as it's possible. Um, you can get a wiretap, for example, on electronic messaging or um, in theory on Facebook or whatever. Although we'll talk about that in a second, um, you can get a the- you know you can get these kinds of wires put in place, but it's more than just a search warrant. You have to get this special kind of court order. It's very difficult to get. It can only be obtained in certain circumstances. There's a very long set of procedures. And I'm not gonna teach it to you today because you couldn't do it by yourself even if, you, if you wanted to. Um, you need to get with state police. You need to, they'll probably get with the attorney general's office. And you know, you'll, there's a whole lot of process you need to go through. But it is the most exacting form of legal process that we have. Uh, and that's because it's the future content of somebody's communication. So in Virginia, we have a code section that we're, we're talking about past. and if we, That's what we're going to focus on now. Uh, again, we have this: the federal code, the Virginia code. The Virginia code section is 19.270.3, and it says a provider shall disclose the contents of electronic communications uh, only pursuant to a search warrant. And that's again pretty much identical to the requirement under federal law. 18 U.S.C. 2703 says a governmental entity, and that includes a state government, state courts, you know, states and law enforcement officers, uh, local law enforcement officers can require the disclosure by a provider of electronic evidence of the contents of a wire or electronic communication, but again, only pursuant to a search warrant, and in the case of a st- state court, uh, a search warrant issued using state warrant procedures. By the way, if you think about it, it's kind of funny, right? Because you can get a search warrant from a magistrate and you can get a court order from a circuit court judge. And if you, you know, sort of in your own head think, well, who's in the hierarchy of authority isn't a circuit court judge above a magistrate? Well, yeah, but the code thinks that a search warrant is more as uh, a higher form of legal process than a court order is. And so they think in that circumstance, a search warrant issued by a magistrate is a higher form of legal process than a court order issued by a circuit court judge. But a circuit court judge could give you a search warrant. Uh, They have the same authority that a magistrate does. It's just that we go to magistrates to get most of our search warrants. Um, And keep in mind, you know, this requirement is enforced not just by, you know, suppression of evidence. Um, In Virginia, it's a class six felony to intercept somebody's. Uh, wire or electronic communications without lawful authority. Um, If you try yourself to wiretap somebody to intercept a wire, electronic or oral communication, or you try to get somebody else to do it for you um, or you intentionally um, disclose information that was intercepted using a wiretap and you do it without any legal process without a search warrant, um, it's a class six felony. And I think we sort of say, oh, yeah, well, I would never do that. But recognize, you know, there's technologies out there that let you do that. You can imagine, you know, a situation where maybe you were in a, you know, a hostage barricade um, and you thought to yourself, hey, you know, if I stick this little wire through the wall, I can listen in on the person's conversations inside. Um, You know, you, you need to really make sure that you get, you know, lawful authority to do that before you do it. Because again, the code's telling you not to do that. Now, fortunately, there is a code section that provides that during, you know, hostage situations um, that you can, you know, uh, get the phone company to break in on the person's phone calls. Um, But so that's, the code protects you in that realm. And there's a process for that. But, um, and you only need to have one person's consent in Virginia to, uh, to listen on a phone call or record a phone call. So, You know, most of the time when we've got an informant working with us or something like that, and we want to record a phone call, as long as one person on that conversation consents, you don't need to have the bad guy consent to that conversation either. There are states that require two-party consent. Um, And, you know, fun little trivia, can you think of a state that requires both parties to a conversation to to record that conversation? I think most of you are going to guess the same state, and I think most of you learn which state that was for a particular reason. Um, but it's a fun little piece of trivia. So, um, tell you what, if you're the first person to email me with the answer about what state it is that requires both parties to a conversation to consent in order for it to be uh, lawfully recorded, um, the state where it's a, it's a crime for one person to record a conversation if the other person doesn't know about it, um, I'll mention you on air if you want to be mentioned on air. So, uh, that's a little, you know, game for you there. But, um, And by the way, this is airing in July of 2020. So if you send me an email after July of 2020, game over, guys. Don't try. You can, by the way, now also get search warrants. It used to be you could only get search warrants for evidence of a crime. um, But now you can also get search warrants regarding people who are wanted. And that used to be a challenge as well, especially with the pen register trap and trace orders, right? If you had somebody who was wanted, sometimes magistrates will say, well, you know what's the probable cause you you can only get evidence not information about something you wanted so we change the code about that um so the real challenge though let's face it is not getting the legal process it's actually getting the answer back from the company and that's what i want to talk about next uh, but before i do i do want to take a minute and talk to you guys about blue help um, i've been talking to you guys about the cop line a little bit um, but blue help is an organization they among other things do track law enforcement suicides um, they uh, found 228 officers had died by suicide in 2019 that was up from 2018 178 uh, but the mission of blue help is to reduce mental health stigma through education advocate for benefits for those who are suffering from post-traumatic stress Um, Acknowledge the service and sacrifice of law enforcement officers that we lose to suicide assist officers in their search to healing and to bring awareness to suicide and mental health issues. They offer a whole lot of services, which I really encourage you to check out Um, among other things they offer first help, which is a searchable database dedicated to finding emotional, financial and spiritual assistance for first responders. And uh, also offers assisting first responders in finding crisis-specific help. It also collects data on suicide and traumatic stress events. Um, the idea is to use this data and information to help save lives and improve quality of life for first responders. Um, this tool is always going to be free. There is no charge to register your organization uh, if you want to re- if you want re- to uh, register in the database as a service organization. Um, they do all kinds of services uh, in 2020 they started offering uh, or plan to s- offer a camp for children who have lost law enforcement officers to suicide so check out their resources there's a it's a great place to figure out what kind of training is out there what kind of resources are out there for your agency um they talk about you know not just watching each other's six but watching each other's 12 you know watching our 12 watching out sort of you know where we're headed and uh and how we're headed there so um check them out uh there online at uh, bluehelp.org. Okay, so like I said, you know, getting a search warrant isn't really the challenge. Uh, although we are going to talk about writing search warrants in a future episode. You know, the real practical challenge here is getting the information right. And so for example, I've talked to you guys about Facebook Messenger. And it's, Fine to talk about getting a search warrant for Facebook Messenger, but Facebook Messenger, the actual information, the actual content of the communications, if somebody's using it from their phone, from the one phone to another phone, is encrypted end to end. And what that means then is that Facebook itself doesn't have access to uh, that information. You can get a search warrant for it, but they'll tell you, we don't have those communications and that's what it means when we talk about end-to-end encryption what we're saying is essentially that the that the, you person the person who's sending the message can read the message on their device the person who's receiving the message can read the message on their device but anyone who intercepts that in between cannot read that information on that device so this provides a real challenge for law enforcement now, you could, in theory, get a wiretap, for example, for Facebook Messenger. Uh, you could get a court to order Facebook to provide you real-time uh, access to you know, monitor those communications. But again, if they're end-to-end encrypted, what Facebook will tell you is all you're going to see is a bunch of encrypted data that we cannot untangle. The only way to untangle it is to use the key contained in the sending device or the key contained in the receiving device. And you might think to yourself, all right, well, what if we clone the device, right? Well, unfortunately, Facebook Messenger is designed to figure out that there's a cloned device. What if I added myself secretly to the conversation? Well, unfortunately, the software is written in such a way to to avoid that as well. So the end-to-end encryption uh, in these devices prevents you from being able to do that. And that's what it means for something to have. If you've heard this before, and I think some of you understand and some of you may not, so I'll take a minute to explain You know, that's what it means for something to have end-to-end encryption. There's been complaints, oh, Zoom, Zoom doesn't have end-to-end encryption. In other words, somebody can listen in the middle. Well, of course, Zoom doesn't have end-to-end encryption um, native in it, because when you use Zoom, you want to, if you've ever gotten a Zoom invite, and three months ago, you probably didn't know what Zoom was, but most of you probably know now. Uh, It gives you the chance to call in. You can pick up a phone and call in and join the call if your internet connection is bad or you're on the road or whatever. Um, We've done a bunch of trainings on Zoom, and some of you may have called in and listened on the if your internet connection wasn't working to that training that we did on Zoom. Well, the only reason you can call in is because, again, that communication isn't encrypted end-to-end, and so it's going out orally in such a way that you can also listen in over the phone. If it were end-to-end encrypted, what it would mean is that you would have to be using an internet connection and a specific invitation that's specific to you uh, to do that. And Zoom has the ability to provide end-to-end encryption, but it would mean you couldn't call in on the phone, and so we don't use that because that, for our training purposes, is useless, right? So uh, then the next question becomes, all right, well, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that law enforcement can't get access. How do I force these companies to provide me access? And this is a stay tuned conversation, really. Um, What I'm going to tell you right now, and again, I mentioned this is July 2020, is that there is a piece of legislation making its way through the US Congress called the Lawful Access to Devices. We call it the Lawful Access to Devices Act. I think it has a different name, but we call it Lawful Access to Devices. Mm And it talks about um, the whether or not the providers have to build in a way. If you're a provider in the United States providing a, the ability to a user to send or receive wire electronic communications, um, do you have to provide uh, the ability for law enforcement to, uh, to read those communications? We don't know what that is going to say. Um, the legislation is slowly moving through. But as we're going to see in a future episode, we're talking also about, we're talking really about two issues that are very different issues. The one that I'm talking to you today about is getting data in motion, getting data that's out there in the world between a device and another device that you don't have your hands on. If you physically had one of those devices, the situation would be different. You might have, if it's a phone, the phone might be encrypted itself. The data inside the phone might be encrypted itself. But you might have a shot at getting past the encryption on the phone. That's also an issue though, right? Because Apple has done a great job of creating encryption, for example, um, in their um, uh, secure enclave, such that if you don't have the password for a phone, it can be very difficult to get into the phone and get into the data that's inside of the phone. But at least there you've physically got the device, right? So one debate is if I physically have a device, should the person, the manufacturer of that device, the software for that device, be required to give law enforcement the ability to bypass the encryption to get into that device. That's one debate. And then the second debate is, well, what if I'm a provider out there? I have no access to the device. I'm not handling the device. But I'm just providing the ability to my users to send or receive communications, Snapchat, Facebook, um, you know, that kind of thing, WhatsApp. Um, do I have to provide law enforcement the ability to read those communications? And those are two separate issues, but they're both trying to be dealt with at the same time by the U S Congress. And, um, they're sort of making their way through when we talk about devices and device search warrants and so on in a future episode, I'm going to talk more about that, you know, encryption and devices. I'm gonna talk a lot more about encryption and devices, but right now we're just talking about encryption in, uh, communication services. Obviously, civil rights organizations, civil liberties organizations, uh, have a concern about forcing providers to create essentially a backdoor, a way for law enforcement to get in and read communications, and in here's a way i think that you if you're somebody who says "Eh, i don't care what the aclu thinks they're a bunch of you know pinko wacky does anybody say pinko anymore i don't know maybe nobody says that anymore um you know they're a bunch of wacky people they don't i don't care what they think i do want to give you a reason to 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 pause for a second and say oh i see what their point is right you know facebook provides the ability for sent for users to receive send and receive communications um you know whatsapp apple Uh, Twitter, all these uh, companies provide the ability, the users, the ability to send and receive wireless communications, not just here in the United States, but all over the world. And you saw, for example, in Turkey, when uh, protesters were protesting crackdowns by the government on uh, civil liberties and civil rights in Turkey, uh, that they tried to shut Twitter down. They actually shut Twitter out of the country completely, blocked Twitter from the country, because Twitter was being used by people to coordinate protests against the government, and they didn't like that, right? The government would love to have the ability to provide legal process to Twitter to say, hey, Twitter, you operate in our company, in our country, you have to uh, follow our order that says that you have to tell us who these users are who are who are communicating about you know civil rights and civil liberties China right China there's our T, three T's you cannot talk about right Tibet Tiananmen and um, what's the third one anyway you can't talk about two things this is the third one I forgot um, again but you, you know if you're talking about the Tiananmen Square Massacre And you're talking about it, uh, you know, Zoom is an example. They were commemorating the Tiananmen Square Massacre on Zoom. And China ordered Zoom, first of all, to shut down the meeting. But second of all, they obviously would love to have the identity of the people who are communicating, but also have the contents of their communication, right? And so since Zoom is end-to-end encrypted, uh, you know, they could go to Zoom and say, give us the communication itself, if you have it, uh, between these individuals. So, you know, these companies want to be able to say, look, we don't have the ability to turn this over to you, even if you wanted to force us to do it. And that's an issue. Um, In addition, in Europe, if you're operating in Europe, Europe under what's called the General Data Protection uh, Regulation, GDPR, Europe requires companies that operate in their sphere to not comply with legal process from companies unless the legal process meets certain standards, right? They want to make sure that people's civil rights and civil liberties are protected. And they don't like the idea that China can order, you know, Zoom or Twitter or Turkey can order Twitter or whoever turns information over. And so um, they're cracking down in another way, trying to say, and we want our legal we want any legal process that, that's being replied to by a company that's operating in one of our countries to comply with our regulations, our expectations as well. So this is a very complicated issue. And that's why it's taking so long. And so, of course, obviously, you know, if you have a a child predator who you're tracking and you're trying to figure out who is the child that this predator is communicating with and what is he asking the child to do? Or, you know, if the child is communicating with him, what is he, you know, what's the communication? What are they trying to do? If they're trying to meet up, where are they trying to meet up? You're trying to get that information. You really want to get that information. You're not really interested in all this internecine civil liberties debate. Um, But that's what's at stake in this issue. Once you have the legal process, or even before you're going to get the legal process, the other question, of course, is, is the provider going to keep this data, especially when we're talking about text messages and so on? You know, that information, if it's held at all, is only held for a very short period of time. Um, You know, I did read somewhere recently that Verizon did actually hold on to people's text messages for at least a number of hours. Um, You know, Apple... There's two forms of text message. If you have an iPhone, and again, for Android users, I'm sorry, but you your law enforcement you need to know this, I guess. Um, you know, there's two kinds of text messages in Apple. There's SMS, which is sort short message service, SMS. Um, and if you've ever sent from your iPhone a text message and it's green, right? That means it's going over as a text message. Um, sometimes if you try to send a, a, a message and it says, hey, this isn't working, send it as an SMS and as a text message instead. That's going out over the cell phone towers in the same way that old text messages did when you had a little phone, you had to type it out in the keypad, you know, boop, 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 over what's called iMessage. And iMessage, again, this is something that's gonna be more encrypted, more difficult to get. Um, iMessage is an internet message. So it's using the internet connection of the phone, not the cell connection, cell phone connection of the phone, um, but it's sending it over the internet using um, Apple's uh, internet service, right? So you can have a text conversation going back and forth between your suspect and your victim where not all the messages show up or only certain ones show up. And the reason is some of them are SMS messages and going out over ATT's network if it's an iPhone on at and network. And some of them are going out as um, iMessages over Apple's network. And you might not be able to get them because they're either encrypted or Apple doesn't have them anymore. So be careful and be aware that you need to send preservation letters as soon as possible. And if you don't know what that is, go back and listen to the episode about preservation letters. Um, preservation letters as soon as possible to not just the cell phone provider, but to the message provider that the person might be using. And if you don't know who the message provider is, right, if it's a, if it's an Apple phone, it's almost certainly going to be potentially Apple. But you don't have to have probable cause to send a preservation letter. You don't even really have to have reasonable suspicion to pre- send a preservation letter because you're not getting anything. All you're doing is asking the provider, please, whatever you have, if you have something, freeze it for a moment and let me figure out if i need it and if i need it can i get legal process to get it so the lesson here is going to go back to the first lesson that we covered a long time ago which is always 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 send preservation letters but make sure that you send them to everybody that you can and if you only get a reply back that doesn't make any sense, keep in mind, if it's like an iPhone, you might only be getting part of the conversation, right? If you get no reply, it might not be that the company is is being unfair to you or trying to play games with you. It might be that they literally don't have access to the conversation at all. And you're going to have to find one of the devices to actually get in uh, the device and and figure it out how to do it. So, um, so, th- so that's basically the bottom line. And, and that really is a good segue into getting device search warrants, which we're going to talk about, um, as we come up uh, in, in the next episode. So we'll talk about getting device search warrants and how you do that and how do you write good search warrants and so on. But that's for another episode. That's for another day. Um, that's all from me for today though. It's all from Biggie. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. Thank you guys for listening today. Stay safe and don't get captured.